podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Uh, yeah, well, you've got to keep a lid on it. There's there's still four tests to go, and you know we're, we we aren't here to win the first test at Edgebass, and we're here to win the Ashes, and um, we've been really clear on that for for some time. So we're obviously happy to to win the first test it's a huge step in the right direction but yeah we're certainly not satisfied with that and um, I think tonight will be quite a different feel to to most test wins that we've had you know we we are over here to to do something that a lot of teams from Australia have struggled to do and um, we realize if we can do it that you know we've spoken about for a hell of a long time and that's what's driving us to, to come in England in, in these conditions is, is difficult for us as it is for England to go to Australia and yeah there's a big five weeks ahead of us. Hello everyone and welcome to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host Andrew Mensel. Australia have won a famous victory at Edgbaston and joining me on the line from Birmingham is News Corp's Ashes reporter Russell Gould. Russell how are you? What a game. Yeah great to talk to you Menas. What a fantastic win by Australia. The boys were really happy, partied long into the night last night here in Birmingham. Lots of music coming from the rooms. Um, yeah, it was just a great all-round effort from so many of the guys. Yeah, it's um, been talked about as one of the most famous victories uh, for the Australian team. What, what do you make of it? Oh, look, you'd have to consider it, it was one of the great Ashes wins for sure. Um, consider where they were on day one, eight for 122. With a new team, remember they, they made six changes from the team that played Shelf Maker in February. A lot of talk about who wasn't playing and a lot about talk about who was playing. And then eight for 122 on day one, moving ball in England. It was memories of, oh, no, here we go again. But on the back of Steve Smith, Nathan Lyon, um, they win for the first time at Edgbaston in 18 years. And the last time they won at Edgbaston was in 2001, and they won that series, which was the last Ashes series Australia won in England. So... Fingers crossed it's a signal of better things to come. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, let's start with um, post-play. What did Tim Payne say and then Justin Langer? What was their vibe? Oh, the vibe was that um, and was coming through from both of them. It was fantastic to win the first test. It was a massive achievement, but they're here to win the Ashes. This is a five-test series. This is about winning as many of those five tests as they need to to win the Ashes. They were more than happy to celebrate celebrate the individual achievements, particularly in this in this match. But it's well, they're off to Worcester today. They've got a tour game tomorrow. More to learn, more to do, more to improve. They're here to win the Ashes, not to win the first test. That was the, that was the clear theme from everyone in the Australian camp. Yeah, Tim Payne seems a little bit different now that he's got uh, Smith and Warner in the team. I, I just think it sort of changes the dynamic a little bit. Did you notice that? Uh, in in what sense in particular? Well, Is it just well, from a captaincy point of view? Yeah, or, or you, could you, see, you could see on you could see on the field he was using them a bit, you know, using them a lot, and uh, it just seemed like he had a bit more support. And you know, Smith took quite a a big role in the Test match, you know, helping Payne in the field. Yeah, that, well, that's absolutely right. And Tim Payne said, "Well, they've played 120 Tests between them. Tim Payne's played 27. They've captain. They've, they've captain. They've both captain Australia, Smith and." 
David Warner. Um, in big series, in big tournaments, they've been through massive moments for Australia. Um, they have a wealth of experience. And Tim Payne said he would be foolish not to listen to them. And I think that's that goes throughout the team. I mean, Peter Siddle's played more tests than Tim Payne. I mean, Nathan Lyons played 80 tests. Tim Payne's only played 27 tests. Um, so it's significant that he's got all this experience around him and there's no doubt that he's leaning on them, relying on them. But this is a squad effort and that came through really, really strongly as well after the after the game. This is a squad effort. This isn't about the 11 guys out there. It's not about the, the one captain. This is about 17 blokes who have been picked to do a job in England. And, yeah, there was a bit of criticism from the locals saying, you know, Steve Smith can't be captain. What's he out there doing, pointing, uh, moving the field around and that sort of thing? But I don't think there's anything in the rules that says he can't help Tim Payne. And Tim Payne is going to benefit from that as well. As I said, their, their wealth of experience, their strength of character as well in the dressing room. They lift people because people know how good they are, the job they can do. So it is significant that they're here and it's significant for Tim Payne that he has them to rely on. Now, Russell, you've seen a bit of cricket, but have you ever seen anyone bat better than Steve Smith did in this test match? It was phenomenal stuff. Yeah, obviously the, there are a few mitigating factors, um, given no Jimmy Anderson and, and a wicket that didn't do much except the spinners and how bad their spinner was. But Steve Smith had all the answers, whatever questions that threw at him. It was quite phenomenal. There was a time there where Ben Stokes was trying to bowl as fast as he possibly could and Steve Smith was standing there and playing it as if he was a 120-kilometre-an-hour 120 120 village trundler. He was just seeing the ball before anyone else. He, he, he sees it. They, they talk about how he, he, he's so good at picking up length, and he just picked up the length on that pitch. And given it was a slow pitch, his capacity to pick up length just made him able to do whatever he wanted with the ball, put it wherever he wanted. There were very few chances, uh, very few chances in his both of his innings. I mean, we talk about Rory Burns. For England, England opener, he, he played and missed 70 times in his 100. <laughs> Steve Smith might have played and missed seven, maybe max. There was one sort of mistimed cover drive that sort of went in the air some stage during the innings. There were so many shots, I can't even remember at what stage it was, but it, he was basically faultless. Um, and the English bowlers walked off the pitch and they just had absolutely no idea what to do to get him out. They tried the whole put in a leg gully, get him to flick it off his pads. But there was one that went a little, just to the right of Jason Roy, but it, was, it, would have been, it would have been the best catch in history if he caught that. But they just have no answers. And Graham Thorpe, after day four, said they might have a plan up their sleeve. If they had a plan up their sleeve, why didn't they bring it out when he's making 144 and 142 to win a test at Edgbaston? I don't think they've got any answers whatsoever. Yeah, I think the only tactic the English might try is really juice up the wickets. But if they juice up the wickets, it's just going to bring Pattinson and Siddle and Cummins and Stark and Hazelwood even more into the game. So they'll be playing with fire if they do that. Yeah, well, Joe Root said before the series, he said to the Australian media, actually, he said that uh, uh, Steve Smith, you know, like everyone can be suspect against a moving ball. Um, but yeah, as you say, given England how bad England's batting is, if they juice up the wickets and make them faster for the Aussies or put a bit of grass on them so the ball sinks, uh, swings and seams, they'll be in a world of hurt because the England bowling attack is, is struggling. Chris Wokes is probably their best bowler at Edgbaston. Jimmy Anderson has been officially ruled out of the second test. So Joffrey Archer most likely comes in. Joffrey Archer has never played a test match. As good as everyone thinks he is and as good as he was in the World Cup, he hasn't played a test match. So if they start trying to get wickets that are going to help the bowlers, as you say. It could come back to bite them because their bowlers aren't that good and their batsmen aren't that good either. 
You're asking a lot for Archer. Never been capped to come in and change the course of an Ashes series. Uh, what about Smith's state after the Test match? I sort of thought he looked quite moved uh, when he was getting the man of the the player of the match award. Um, what was your read of him, sort of as this Test went on? Yeah, well, he said after the game, he said he, you know, he he almost felt like crying. This was a massive moment for him. Consider everything he went through over the past twelve months, and he told us after his first 100, that in January when he hurt his elbow and had an operation and couldn't bat, he fell in love with cricket. And that's never been anything he'd experienced before. We're reading now about the, the countless hours that he used to um, bat with his dad and honed his technique and the millions of balls he's faced over the journey. So when he wasn't able to do that, he didn't know what to do with himself. So this was a massive relief for him. And, and he did say he didn't know whether he'd come back and be the same batsman he was but he's come back as a better batsman. And I think that relief is the greatest feeling for Steve Smith to come back, to endure everything, to make 200s and to be better than he was. Um, It's quite astounding. It is. And I almost think that he could only find his best form at test level. He needed to be in the, the biggest stage really to really hit best peak form again. I know you've been following James Pattinson's return um, back to the test side and um, read that great story of yours that sort of detailed the decision to have that uh, quite revolutionary back surgery a couple of years ago. It must have been um, good for you to see him playing and um, also I thought he bowled very well. Yeah, I was really excited. It was one of the more exciting things for me for the series was to see James Pattinson bowl. Um, I watched him in the Sheffield Shield final earlier early this year and from that moment on there was absolutely no doubt that if he was fit, he was playing in the first Ashes test. There was no doubt whatsoever. And then to see what he did to Southampton before the test against his own teammates, he was scary. He was roughing up David Warner. And obviously we all know that that pitch was very helpful for the bowlers. But at Edgbaston, he, he hit the ground running from the start. And he didn't have a huge return of wickets. And there was one over on the last day where um, I think Chris Wokes hit him for three fours. But that was an absolute aberration. He, he absolutely had the bats, the English batsman jumping around. He got more plays and misses than any of the other bowlers, I think. He was fast. And, and this is on a pitch that didn't do very much for him and with the ball wasn't swinging either. So when conditions are more in, even more in the bowler's favour, he's going to be an absolute handful. He's all over Jason Roy. Jason Roy was hopping around, not leaving the crease, um, you know, really playing just the ball as it got to him. He wasn't aggressive at all against Pattinson. Or against Cummins, really. Yeah, but it was really exciting to see Patterns. And I, I think he'll play at Lords, but then I think he'll get a spell because there's eight days between the first and second tests. And he only bowled 35 overs to the game, which is significant. He only bowled 27 in the first and eight in the second. And Justin Lang spoke about his bowling load and being concerned about how many he, he bowled. And if it got up to the 40 and 50 over mark, that might have meant he needed a rest. But he only bowled 37. He said he, Pattinson, said he was feeling as good as he's ever felt on day four. And then again on day five. So it's exciting for Australia that he'll play at Lords with the slope, hopefully a bowler-friendly pitch, and he could do a whole heap of damage. Do you think that Australia will consider swapping Stark for Siddle in the, at the Lords test? I know Langer, surprisingly for me, said that uh, it was between Stark and Siddle for the last bowling spot. So what do you think they'll do for Lords? Well, given the praise that Justin Langer gave Siddle, he basically called him the bowler of the match. Which was ridiculous. Um, you were there. That's just not true. I mean, that's that's Langer's spin 101. But I thought 
and it's easy to say in hindsight, um, but I thought Peter Siddle was almost the bowler of the game, to be honest. He was he was brilliant. Uh, that was the best none for I've ever seen today. <laughs> Siddle was pretty good. Siddle was really good on the last day. But he, he was better than Cummins and Lyon? Cummins' first spell on the first day was really poor, really poor. Siddle didn't have a bad spell. Cummins came good. He Cummins got better as the match went on, absolutely no doubt. But Siddle was on the money from ball one. He did exactly what he was there to do, which was to challenge the batsman and not concede any runs. He was incredibly impressive for a 34-year-old who many thought wasn't even close to the test team. But back to your point about whether they dropped him or not, that's what I'm saying. Justin Lang, it might be spin, but Peter Siddle was very good at edge baston. But Lang said, it'll be, it'll be a pitch pitch-determined decision. So they'll get to Lords, have a look at the wicket. If they need to change, they'll make a change. It's not like they're sacrificing anything by dropping Peter Siddle and bringing in Mitchell Stark, who has 200 test wickets. So it's a fantastic position for Australia to be in. A selection headache, yes. I'm not sure if they will make a change because, as I said, with eight days between the first and second test, but then only four between the second and third, there's every chance they don't make a change for this test, but then make a change for the third test. I guess one area Australia would like Stark is um, his effectiveness against the lower order. Yeah, absolutely. No, that that's fair enough. But you would hope that James Pattinson can be that sort of strike weapon too. And he certainly was in the Shield season. That was what James would come on and do as much as he can take top order wickets. He would come on and clean up the tail as well. The real concern with Stark is, and one of the main reasons he didn't play, is because of his capacity to go for runs. And the plan here from all these from the Australians is to limit England's scoring. That's the, that's the main thing they want to do because they know they can take wickets, but in English conditions, you can rack up runs pretty quickly with these fast outfields and smaller boundaries. So that's the, that's the issue with Stark. And even we saw that during the home summer. He was really expensive. And as much as he can be a strike weapon, you just can't afford him to be going four runs and over. So that's the thing with Stark. And he's also coming out of a World Cup, so he's got to get used to bowling with the red ball again. It might take some time. Yeah, and there's also Hazelwood, who shouldn't be forgotten. Tremendous bowler. So they, they should think about bringing him uh, in later in the summer. Oh, yeah, 100%. They, they, all the bowlers will play in this series. There is no doubt all the bowlers will play in this series. And there's every chance in one test, depending on how things go, that we'll see one of the all-rounders, be it Michael Nisa or Mitchell Marsh, too. The load's too much. They, they've spoken about it. That's why they picked so many bowlers in the squad. The load is too great the three or even four, every bowler will get a go in the series. It could, if Australia goes 2 nil up at Lords, I mean, they can manage the bowls as they want. And as I said before, they're bringing in Josh, Josh Hazelwood and Mitchell Stark who have 375 test wickets between them. It's not, it's, it might be a hard decision, but it's not a, um, not a decision with any cons, as it were. It's all pros. It's all pros because whoever they drop, they're bringing in someone equally as good. Now, speaking of all pros, what about Matty Wade? He, he, he's come back from seemingly gone from test cricket and just played a sparkling second-inning century. Amazing stuff. Yeah, he just, took, he just put it on them as well. It was 130 ball 100. Um, he did exactly what he was doing in the Shield summer. He did exactly what he was doing in the Big Bash. He's just confident with his game. He's not worried about what might happen if it doesn't work out. He's made enough runs. He got back into the team. He's already justified all that hard work by getting back into the team. And with no, no pressure on himself, he's way better equipped to take advantage and to make more runs. He got out to a good ball in the first innings, and that was in the middle of a sort of a, a real hard stretch for the Australian batsman. But with the conditions in his favour again, he just went out and he absolutely made the most of it. He's 
confident. He's on top of the ground. And the other thing about it, and it's the same with Travis Head, when you've got Steve Smith up the other end, you can play your own game. You're pretty confident that you're, you're probably going to be the next man out. So make the most of it because he ain't going out and you can just play with confidence. And that's what Matty Wade's doing. And, and anything else jump out at you from the test match you want to tell the listeners? There, look, there is some significant concern over Cameron Bancroft. Uh, he just looked in trouble nearly every ball. I know he's made a lot of runs in English conditions, but when you put all the numbers together, it's it's impossible to think that Marcus Harris would be dropped. Matthew Wade got picked on the back of a 1,000-run shield season. Marcus Harris made a 1,000 runs in the shield, plus he made 600 runs in his six tests. He didn't get any runs against Sri Lanka. But the guys who did get runs against Sri Lanka, apart from Travis Head, aren't even in the squad. So those runs meant nothing. So it's really hard to fathom how they went for Cameron Bancroft, Cameron Bancroft over Marcus Harris. And Coach's Bancroft, pick. Co- Lang's well, pick. The co- he's got one more test, Bancroft. He doesn't, if he doesn't get runs at Lords, I can't see him surviving the third test. Because as I say, Harris was the leading run scorer in the test series against India. He did make runs against Sri Lanka. He came over on Australia 8. He got 150. His case is as strong as anyone's, and I know Bancroft's the, the best short leg fielder in the world, according to Steve Waugh, but he needs runs. He, he just didn't look good, Cameron Bancroft. It, it was concerning. And then David Warner didn't look good either, but um, he's got he's got plenty of credits in the bank, so he's, he's got, 20, got time to come good. 20-odd <laughs> test hundreds. Yeah. All right, well, before you go, Russell, last one. At the beginning of this match, the, the Pommies came in. They'd just won the World Cup. They were full of huff and puff, Fortress Edgbaston. They've been smashed. They've been given a shellacking. How do you think they'll um, – how how did you notice them sort of change throughout the test match? Did Is this a big punch for them? Oh, it's a massive punch, and more so because they've got so many blokes who are just out of form. Like Johnny Bairstow couldn't get a run. Moen Alley had it. A nightmare. He probably won't even play at Lords. Josh Butler didn't get any runs either. And Besto's keeping was really average. I know it was a difficult pitch, but his keeping was really average. Um, and Jason Roy, I mean, that shot in the second innings, who plays that when you're trying to bat out a, a day for a draw? Now, they've got some real issues, and plus their bowling attack. I mean, as good as Steel Broad was in the first innings, he wasn't that good in the second innings. They're going to bring in Joffrey Archer, who has never played a test, or Ollie Stone, who's played one test. <laughs> who's going to be this? No, they've got some real issues, England. Um, if they don't get their act together real smart, real quickly, this series could be over before they know it. All right. Well, Russ, I'll let you go. Can you just ask Langer for me about Bancroft? In the, and, uh, yeah, Australia's going to go on and uh, win the Ashes now, I reckon. So you're going to have some fun. Enjoy. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Hopefully they do. All right, that was Russell Gould, News Corp's Ashes reporter. I think he was packing his bags while we were talking. That's how busy he is, he's podcasting and packing his bags. So uh, there's a bit of background noise. Look, you've been listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Remember to keep up with all the Ashes action. Go to dailytelegraph.com.au or go to your local masthead, Herald Sun, Courier Mail, Adelaide Advertiser. Uh, where have I missed Hobart Mercury? I feel like I missed one. But anyway, I think that's it. Go and find all your cricket news there. There's um, Pete Lawler's over there, Joe Barton, Russell Gould. So there's loads of um, great cricket stuff coming in. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Amenas. And you can find the show at Oz Cricket Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks for listening. I'm going to speak to Pete Lawler soon to get his view of what's going on in the ashes. Thanks for listening and bye-bye. Sports 
Sports Social Podcast Network.